Hello, and welcome back to Astronomy News with the Cosmic Companion. This week, we're joined by Dr. Brian Fields of the University of Illinois. He recently headed a study showing how the Devonian extinction, which took place on Earth 359 million years ago, may have been triggered by the supernova explosion of a nearby star. We also look at a new experiment showing how life might survive a trip aboard an asteroid traveling between Mars and Earth, and we discuss new ideas showing how Earth may have been a water world since soon after its formation. Finally, we gaze out to the nearby galaxy Andromeda as the Hubble Space Telescope reveals a massive halo of ionized gas surrounding this massive collection of stars. An experiment from Tokyo University exposed bacteria to the extreme conditions of space for periods ranging between one and three years. These microorganisms were affixed to a special plate placed outside of the International Space Station where they were subjected to the vacuum, extreme temperatures, and the radiation of space. The study found that near the center of pellets half a millimeter in size or larger, about 4% of the bacteria survived the ordeal. These microorganisms were shielded by other bacteria in the outer layer outer layers of the pellets, which formed a protective layer, saving those bacteria near the middle of the samples. This lends idea to the idea of panspermia, the theory that life on Earth may have originated in space. A new study shows the original source of water on Earth may have been in chondrites, objects found in the inner solar system. These bodies were thought to be dry, but new examination reveals they could have brought three times as much water to Earth as we see today. Further analysis reveals 95% of the water on Earth is identical to water found in these EC meteorites. If this finding is confirmed, it would suggest Earth was a water world since soon after it formed four and a half billion years ago. Astronomers using the Hubble Space Telescope have mapped a massive halo of gas surrounding the Andromeda Galaxy. Roughly the size of the Milky Way, Andromeda is the nearest large galaxy to our own family of stars. The team measured light from 43 quasars, our active galaxy sitting behind the halo, finding the cloud reached out more than two and a half million light years, about two-thirds of the distance to our own galaxy. In roughly four billion years, Andromeda and the Milky Way will collide, greatly altering the structure of both galaxies. 
This week, we are joined by Dr. Brian Fields, an astrophysicist at the University of Illinois. He recently headed a new study showing how the Devonian extinction may have been caused by a nearby exploding star. This week on Astronomy News with the Cosmic Companion, we're happy to be joined by Dr. Brian Fields. He is an astrophysicist at the University of Illinois and has figured out how a nearby supernova explosion may have changed life on Earth forever. Welcome to the show, Brian. Great. Thank you. I'm thrilled to be here. Excellent. So just tell us a little bit, uh, what is the Devonian extinction and why is it so important to the history of Earth? Yeah, so the, uh, so, uh, so in, the, in the history of life on Earth, uh, the species come and species go all the time, but there are, um, uh, there are five uh, instances where a lot of species died off in a dramatic way. So these are the five main mass extinctions, they're called. And um, the most recent uh, and probably most familiar one is uh, the extinction that happened at the end of what's called the Cretaceous period. That's when the dinosaurs died off. Uh, so that was 65 million years ago. Uh, and uh, uh, and that was caused, or certainly a major cause, was the, uh, that there was a giant impact. So a huge uh, asteroid or comet slammed into the Earth just off the, uh, the Yucatan Peninsula in Mexico, and, uh, and that ultimately led to the demise of the dinosaurs. Um, and so that already is an example of an extinction that was sort of death from above. It was due to an astronomical event. There are four earlier uh, examples of mass extinctions. Uh, and uh, I should hasten to add, I'm no geologist, I'm not a paleontologist, but my impression is all of them, there's still debate about what their origin was. And so we're interested in, as, uh, in the, uh, uh, the end of the Devonian period where there was an extinction. Um, so the Devonian is much earlier than the dinosaurs. Dinosaurs were 65 million years ago. Now I'm talking about that something the Devonian started 420 million years ago, so quite a long time ago, lasted for about 60 million years, and it ended 359 million years ago. So just mind-boggling the timescales. Um, and, um, uh, and, uh, and maybe I could just mention that uh, the, the way this happened is a little, it's clearly a little different from what happened to the dinosaurs, because the end of the Devonian in the last you know, many million years, there was already a die-off of species, sort of a gradual die-off, which was really not so much an extinction, but the, like I said, species come and go, and the rate of dying off of species was actually pretty similar uh, to other times. That wasn't particularly dramatic over the long run, but there was not an appearance of new species. Um, so that, so the total amount of sort of species around, the biodiversity was going down and down and down. It was a diversity crisis, if you will. Um, and, um, uh, and it's still, uh, uh, and there's still some debate about what that is, but likely it has to do 
I understand, uh, with, um, uh, with what was going on with the planet at the time. So, uh, so this was right before the time of Pangaea, where all the continents came together to make one supercontinent. And uh, the, uh, the Earth wasn't quite there, but it was nearly there. There, was, uh, 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 there were, uh, you know, a, a couple of really large continents, but there was one particularly large one, the, the Gondwana continent, and a couple of other smaller ones. Siberia was its own continent, which is just a <laughs> mind-blowing idea to me. So, so the globe looked totally different uh, back then. And... Uh, and, and so there were these giant oceans and the ocean levels had, had risen, but uh, because there were, the land wasn't so spread out among the oceans, the ocean dwelling species, there's kind of no little niches where you could hide and develop in, independently of other life. And so, uh, so the thinking is that that uh, is part of what made it hard for, for new species to appear because uh, there weren't little niches where you could evolve uh, being you know, unharassed by other species. Um, uh, but it was really quite a time. So it was 60 million years as Devonian lasted. Uh, it was the beginning of, uh, of uh, where the life really took hold on land. By the end, there were these giant trees, 30 meters tall, and, uh, and there were little, little critters on Earth to include uh, four-legged creatures who walked the land called tetrapods. Um, and there's vast life in the oceans. This is when fish really took off as species. And there are other things as well, these things called aminoids, which are sort of like octopuses, you know, and, uh, and something you might recognize, there were sharks. The, um, the, the forerunners, the primitive versions of, of today's sharks were around then. But all of that uh, went under great stress. Again, at the end, the species were dying and off and dying off in sort of, uh, or rather not really being replaced by new species is the more correct thing to say, this biodiversity crisis. But then right at the end of the Devonian, 359 million years ago, uh, there was then a, a dramatic extinction and a couple before that as well, where then this really was punctuated where a bunch of species all died at once. And that's where we come in. Looking deep into the universe, we see backwards in time and the oldest light in the universe holds secrets to how everything around us will, one day, end. Meanwhile, stars, planets, and galaxies dance in an intricate ballet, occasionally giving birth to life. We are fledgling species, just beginning to visit other worlds. We are a way for the universe to understand itself. The Cosmic Companion strives to bring the universe down to Earth, and we depend on your help to make it happen. For information on subscriptions and ways to donate to this program, please visit thecosmiccompanion.net. Thank you. Right, right. And of course, you know, as you mentioned, you know, 370 million years ago, we had the Hagenberg extinction event, and then it was followed up by the Kalwasser event. Is that what you, you're saying that the Kalwasser event, the one that finally ended uh, yeah, the, the big extinction at the end was the one that was likely caused by a supernova. Is that that's right. That's right. So the, these things have names. So at the end of the Devonian, these two these two instances of sort of rapid die off, uh, where there really was a bunch of loss of species, not just replacement of new ones, but loss of the ones that existed. Yeah, those are called the Kelvasser event and the Hangenberg events. It's two names to do with where they were discovered. Um, and um, and the very last one is this Hangenberg event and. Uh, just recently, this, you know, a couple of months ago, this really interesting new result came out and was published that at this very last extinction event that marked the very end of the Devonian period, um, there, uh, they studied uh, spores, you know, little plant spores 
um, and found uh, that in, in the fossils and found that they were uh, uh, deformed uh, and, uh, and kind of mutilated. And, and if you look at them, they look like they're burnt. And the, the, uh, the, the way they look is, uh, um, how do you get that? Uh, well, it turns out you can get this from, with, with modern spores, you can get this if you hit them really hard with ultraviolet light, UV radiation. It's bad for us, it gives us skin cancer, it's really bad for spores. So they're a sort of the, the canary in the coal mine that tells you about harsh UV radiation. And so what this tells us is somehow the Earth's surface was bathed with really intense ultraviolet light. Well, how does that happen? That happens if we take away the ozone in the stratosphere, the upper atmosphere of the Earth, because the ozone kind of acts as a shield for the ultraviolet light from the sun. Uh, and if you take it away, then there's nothing blocking it. And then the sun's UV comes down and does great damage. And so the bottom line then is this, uh, this new data based on these spores is saying that something catastrophically removed ozone from the Earth right at the, right at the same time this extinction was going on at the end of the Devonian. Um, and what evidence do we have that a supernova was responsible for that? Great. That's exactly the right question. And I want to be clear that, um, that we, um, this, is, this, this result about ozone loss is very new, and so we still don't know for sure what caused it. Um, and the, the people who wrote this paper there, uh, the, they're led by a British group at Southampton, uh, they uh, considered a couple of causes themselves that were not to do with a supernova. One was, uh, what if there's a lot of volcanism? And they show that the volcanoes should have emitted other things, other elements you don't see, like mercury. So that's actually pretty unlikely. They ruled that out. They did think that it might be possible there was some warming going on during some of this, the global rise in temperatures, and that that um, and they proposed a way that that could uh, uh, put more water vapor in the air and that that could actually end up being damaging to ozone. And that would be an important thing to know in general if that happens, because uh, we're living in an age of warming right now. And if that also could lead to increased ultraviolet ozone loss, that would be something we would want to know and try to prevent. Um, um, it turns out that there's still some, this is still a new idea, and so that needs to be pursued more, and that's an interesting idea, and there's some questions about, you know, how, how that will work out in detail. And where we came in was simply to point out that uh, for more than 50 years now, running through the astrophysical literature, people have pointed out that explosions in space are removing ozone from the Earth. And so we said, let's at least consider that as an alternative possibility. So we want to, that's the way science works. You put out ideas and you try to test them. And so, uh, so it's absolutely correct to consider terrestrial causes for this ozone loss. But we're pointing out that, uh, that people have for a long time realized that ex exploding stars and other kinds of uh, explosions in space uh, will by looking in more detail, we, we were able to eliminate many kinds of stellar explosions and zeroed in on supernovae as being the, the likely, if it's due to something astrophysical at all, it's from supernovae. Right, and so we know that, um, or we suspect now that supernovae often occur in clusters. And so when one supernova goes off, it could trigger uh, nearby stars on the edge of going supernova push them over the edge. 
So we, uh, we also know that there was a 300,000 year or so uh, loss of biodiversity, as you mentioned right before this happened. And it, could there be a connection between those two? Between supernova clusters and... Yeah, so... Um, yeah, so one of the things... So the j just as you say, supernovae... Uh, the supernovae come in actually a couple of different varieties, but the more common variety and the variety we think is responsible is uh, uh, is from the deaths of the most massive stars. So something maybe eight times the mass of the sun or more. And those are actually quite unusual stars. I mean, they're the, um, in, a, in a sort of fair sample of the galaxy, they're less than 1% of all, considerably less than 1% of all stars. Um, they're overrepresented in the sky because they're enormously luminous. And so, uh, so you can see the Betelgeuse is a famous one, um, Antares, many others that you know their names because they're so incredibly bright. They're like the celebrities of the cosmos. They, uh, <laughs> They, they live fast, die young, and, and leave a beautiful corpse. Um, and so, um, uh, and they're also very social, because like celebrities hang out with other celebrities in Hollywood. It's the same with massive stars. They tend to be born in clusters where several are formed at the same time. And on top of that, uh, uh, almost uh, every massive star is in a binary system. So it's not by itself. It has a companion star that it orbits around. Um, that's not so unusual. Most stars are actually in binaries. Uh, but what's but massive stars are almost 100% in binaries, and they're very likely to be in a binary with another massive star. Um, that happens all the time. So there'd be two of these massive stars destined to explode that are orbiting each other. And the way this would work is one would explode, and in astronomical terms, very soon another would explode, but very soon might mean a million years later. So. Uh, so, so the idea is, if you have one, all that means, if you have one nearby supernova, it's very likely you have more than one. Um, mm -hmm. And so, if we think one event, this is ozone loss, this Hangenberg event was caused by uh, a supernova, we think it's very worthwhile to look at some of these earlier events in the Devonian, because we think they too might have been from other supernovae, you know, born in the same cluster, part of its same social circle. Um, so, um, and maybe I can say you mentioned about like the fact that this this extinction happens over a long duration. That's actually part of how we know that if it is from an explosion at all, an astrophysical explosion is from a supernova. And that's because of how a supernova gets you. Uh, and a supernova is a one-two punch. Um, unlike other things, uh, where like for ex an example of a of a single punch would be from the sun itself. So the sun occasionally has these violent flares that send high energy particles to the Earth, and uh, uh, and most of them uh, aren't too uh, are mostly just calls aurorae, which are fun to see. We like them. Uh, once in a while, they can be very intense. We've had some that actually uh, in the '90s uh, knocked out the power grid in Quebec, uh, so they can actually be dangerous. And if you had a really intense one, it could actually uh, uh, destroy a lot of ozone in the Earth's atmosphere, and that wouldn't be no joke at all. And those should be rare, but they can happen. Um, the reason we ruled that out, that's perfectly possible, and in the past may well have happened, but the reason we ruled it out for the Devonian is it's a one-shot deal. You get one of these giant flares, and then you don't get another one for millions of years. But we saw that the species die-off took place over thousands of years, whereas the ozone recovers itself within a decade. 
uh, and then whatever survives gets on with its life. And so the fact that the die-off was so long means we need something that's a one-two punch. And that's why we went to the supernova. Because the way a supernova works is the initial explosion, when you see it, it would get your full attention if it were close enough to be dangerous. In fact, if it were at the distances we suggest, the supernova would be uh, brighter than the full moon. Not as bright as the sun, but brighter than the full moon. Uh, and uh, which means uh, you could see it easily during the day. You would also see it at night and you could, you know, already the full moon is quite bright at night, but with the supernova's brighter still, you could easily read by it, um, write your will and testament or whatever. Uh, <laughs> and- uh, Hashtag uh, and it, hide. <laughs> exactly. And, and the thing about it, not only is it brighter than the full moon, but it's concentrated in a point. Um, so the moon's light is spread over a disc, but this would be concentrated into a point. So it really would be quite intense on the sky, either during the day or at night, and probably not a great idea to look at. <laughs> um, but, or at least to stare at. But the the thing is, uh, the light you see with your eye is fine. That's probably, you know, that's the least of your worries. What happens is when the supernova explodes, it emits all kinds of nasty radiation you can't see. Ultraviolet, uh, x-rays, and gamma rays. And those are the things that wipe out the ozone layer of the Earth. Um, and then, but that's all done after about a year. Uh, and then the earth would, you know, whatever is damaged, we'll talk about the damage in a second, whatever is damaged will survive. But then thousands of years later, the supernova blast comes. So these massive stars, most of their mass comes back out when they explode. Initially it's launched at a few percent of the speed of light, sweeps up interstellar material, and then eventually sweeps over the whole solar system. Uh, and then we find ourselves, and that, that's, that's the image behind me. So uh, for those of you who can see it and not just hear me, there's this gorgeous image that uh, my student Jesse Miller made uh, of the solar system being overwhelmed by a supernova explosion. And, and, uh, uh, and so we find ourselves in the middle of this blast, and this blast is really good at accelerating high energy particles, what are known as cosmic rays. Um, and these cosmic rays do two bad things. They again strip off the ozone layer, but now they keep it gone for thousands of years because these cosmic rays linger for thousands of years. But they do more than that. They create high, they themselves, cosmic rays are high energy particles which slam into the atmosphere and are stopped. But in their being stopped, they create new high energy particles, some of which come all the way to the ground and into the ground down half a mile before they are finally stopped. And so they irradiate the surface of the earth underground for a good depth and into the oceans. And so everybody is vulnerable to this radiation. Wow. And all, right. and all of that stuff is bad news. <laughs> Hi there, this is James Maynard from the Cosmic Companion. Thank you so much for joining us. Now, our podcast is put out through Anchor FM. If you've ever wanted to have to your own podcast, they're a heck of a lot of fun. Uh, I mean, Anchor gives you a chance to uh, put get your podcast together with all the tools in one place. And um, you can do it from your phone or a computer. And they're going to help you get distributed out to all the major platforms, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, you name it. And so, best of all, Anchor's all free. How cool, huh? Anyway, if you want to check it out, go download the Anchor app or go to Anchor FM to get started. Clear skies. 
And so you calculated that this supernova, uh, which could have triggered this extinction event, would have occurred about 65 light years from Earth. So So wouldn't we be seeing a nebula even now, or Ah. would it have dispersed? Yeah, very good, very good. So again, for those that can see, uh, the uh, the image be- behind James is actually the uh, that that's that's an example of what's left behind uh, after a supernova explosion, a supernova remnant, the nebula. Um, and there there would have been something quite spectacular. It would have been weird for us because we live inside of it. Um, but the those things uh, last for a long time on human scales, but very short on astronomical scales. So they you know. Uh, they'd last not even quite a million years at the longest and then be gone um, because we're talking about something so long ago, the the traces, the astronomical traces would have long since uh, been gone. So there's not something to see in the sky. To give you an idea, uh, this is so long ago, 360 million years ago, that in the time since the explosion, our Earth has traveled around the center of the galaxy almost twice and all the stars around us have been j- jiggling around. So, uh, so whatever was going on back then has long since sort of reset itself. So there's no astronomical evidence that we can just easily look for. Um, but what we did do is we can uh, make some educated guesses about, well, how likely is it that you get a supernova this close over this kind of time scale? Um, and we know something about the structure of our galaxy. We know how often supernovae go off. And in a whole galaxy, we might get a, you know, most of which are so far away we don't see them. Um, and um, based on those calculations, it's completely plausible that you'd have supernova over these kind of distances. Um, and maybe I should say something about the distance. The distance, as you say, 65 uh, light years. Um, that's about 20 parsecs for the X out there. Um, and uh, that's quite close. The nearest star to us is four light years away, or one, one and a third parsecs. So, so that's quite close to us. Um, and it's quite unusual for uh, for a star, a massive star like this, to blow up close to us. So that's that's why it's only it's only a very rare thing between when you'd expect it to happen. And there's an important piece of good news here. Uh, as bad as 2020 is, I do not want to add to the misery of 2020. Uh, the nearby supernova is not a threat right now. Remember, I said these massive stars are the most luminous stars in the sky. They're the brightest thing in the sky. If we had one anywhere near this kill distance, we would know all about it. Uh, so I can, I can confidently tell you there are no threatening supernova candidates anywhere near us today. So, so 2020 is not made worse. There are many things to worry about in 2020. This is not one of them. But if you think about your ancestors or your descendants, this is where we want to think about it. That's uh, good to hear. That little bit of good news, we're going to sign off, but it was great talking with you, Brian. Oh, you too. Thank you so much. Thank you. And that was Dr. Brian Fields, astrophysicist at the University of Illinois. Next week on Astronomy News with the Cosmic Companion, we'll be joined by Dr. Demetra Atri of New York University, Abu Dhabi. We will be talking about his study showing microbes might live beneath the surface of Mars, aided by galactic cosmic rays. Subscribe to this channel and never miss an episode. Please stay safe, stay healthy, and keep your wonder alive. If you enjoyed this episode of The Cosmic Companion, 
please download and share the episode on YouTube, Facebook video, or on any major podcast provider. For more details on space and astronomy news, please visit thecosmiccompanion.com or thecosmiccompanion.net.